Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe, and man, oh man, this month, this episode is fire. I can't wait to you guys to hear from our guests. But before we get to our guest, we actually have one of our staff in the studio, Coach Anna Craig, is co-host today, not Mike Hansen. Coach Craig, say hello to everybody. Hi, everyone. So, Coach Craig, give us a little bio for our listeners. They've never heard from you. Who are you? How long have you been here? What's your title role? Give us a little snippet of all that. Yeah, so I'm an assistant strength coach here at the University of Texas, and I specifically work with women's soccer, women's tennis, and men's and women's diving. And I've had those sports for anywhere from the past five to eight years. I've been with each of those sports. Before that, I was in a different role here at Texas. I was an assistant strength coach for the football team under the Mac Brown era. And prior to that, was a graduate assistant here with the men's basketball team, worked under Todd Wright. And prior to that, started out my career in strength and conditioning as a humble intern at the Texas Tech University football program. We won't hold that against you, though. (laughs) (laughs) She's a boss for sure. So, Coach Craig, thank you for filling in for Coach Hanson. I know uh, she runs our clinic as well. Uh, that we host every year. So thank you for helping with the show today. So glad to have you Thanks on board. Thanks for having me. You got it. And now to our guest, drum roll here, Coach Tyler Friedrich from Stanford. Say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Coach, how was the flight in uh, this week? Was it, was, it okay? It was lovely. Have you had any Texas barbecue yet? Not yet. I've been here before. I've had it before, but not this trip. All right. Either Tex-Mex or the barbecue one of the two. Make sure you get a good workout before you do all that so you burn those <laughs> calories. So, Coach Tyler, thank you so much for being on the show. He is the Director of Olympic Sports and Applied Sports Science at Stanford and oversees multiple teams. But he's here for volleyball this weekend, and uh, that's how I've, I've known Tyler. He's been kicking our butt for years, <laughs> and so uh, definitely I've been humbled, but uh, learned a lot from him and so glad to have you in the studio. Thank you for making time. Yeah, I appreciate it. I will not apologize for the, the beatdowns, uh, but right, that's, that's right, okay. That's right. <laughs> so we should have hopefully a fun match Sunday. Yeah. So glad you're in town. Yeah. So. And with that, Coach Craig, let's get started well, on the show. I'm excited to see you in person, Tyler. Yeah, We've only met on Zoom, yeah. and it's very nice to be face-to-face again. Absolutely. So you've been in the field for over a decade now, which is probably weird to think. It is. <laughs> it, it is odd, yeah. So what's kept you going yeah. for the past decade? You know, I think... The same reason why I got into it is what's kept me going, and that's working with student-athletes, trying to have an influence, uh, obviously in a positive way, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and, and establishing those connections. And, um, you know, wins and losses are great, and championships are awesome, but at, at the end of the day, when, you know, a senior leaves and there's feels as if there's a void when they leave, like, that that to me is what keeps me keeps bringing me back. You guys know this. It's so much fun just being, being a part of their lives, even though it's short. Um, and then seeing what they go and do and they go and be doctors or play professionally or do whatever it is they do. And it's just really fun to see, see them grow up in our time with them. So that's, that's definitely what's kept me going. Um, you know, I've had the, I've been really lucky to work with a a pretty wide variety of sports, which I think has also kept it very fresh. Everything from fencing and sailing to volleyball and football, you know, so everything kind of in between. So that variety has been, has been awesome as well. Just kind of keeps you sharp, keeps, keeps you on on my toes. So that's, Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point is the variety Mm -hmm. that you've worked with. Yeah. So you've worked with everything from, did you say fencing? Fencing. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with rowing, fencing, sailing, golf, tennis, football, volleyball, beach volleyball, uh, basketball here and there, um, you know, uh, soccer, both men's and women's, water polo, swimming, diving. (laughs) It's quite a bit. It's quite a bit. I love it. I mean, that's, I think the, you know, I know... It's made me a better strength coach from a programming standpoint because I've had to think just outside the box as for um, non-traditional sports like uh, a fencing or a sailing. And then also like having a program, things like speed and conditioning for a soccer or football or uh, plyometric programming for a volleyball. And so just 
I feel like through the years, the skills have been sharp because of, or stayed sharp because I've had to think in a variety of different ways and, and plan um, for different sports. Plus, you see different injuries, you deal with different coaches, different athletic trainers, and so you just kind of, I like having my hand kind of in everything and just kind of being, being involved with a lot of sports. Yeah, I would like to kind of add to that. I think kind of to Anna's, Coach Craig's point and your point, I know I played football in college, and then when I started strength coaching, when I came to Texas, I came here in 98. When I met Eddie Reese was the first time like I really started understanding, like, you learn more from a sport coach than you do sometimes in your own career and professional field. And, I mean, Coach Craig, you know Coach Reese. He's, I mean, he's won, what, 14 national championships? He's our men's swim and dive yeah. coach. In the, if you ever sit down with this head coach, I mean, this guy knows more about strength and conditioning than, than most people in the field. Yeah. And so to learn swimming and then learn the field and bring those together, you're right. It totally makes you a better coach. So, yeah, I've, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. How do you feel like you've navigated some of the challenges yeah. to have longevity in our field? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think um, a, a couple of things. Number one, and this may be kind of cliche, but just communication. You know, I think that's everyone says that, but I think it's way easier to say than to do and just um, be willing and open to communicate with coaches, training staff, athletes, whoever it is, just um, on, on a frequent basis and, and, be willing to be a little vulnerable in that communication. And maybe I don't know much about fencing. And so I talk to that coach and say, I don't really understand your sport. Explain it to me or help me so I can be better for you guys. And I think that's, um, I think a lot of strength coaches, as we get started, and I'm, I'm a victim of this and guilty of this, is it's football or basketball or, you know, some sort of big high profile sport. And yeah, I think revenue. we get, yeah, I think we get caught up in doing it thinking that's the best way to do it, which, you know, is not the answer. You know, we were just talking on the way over here that, there's so many ways, you know, if, any, if anything COVID showed us, we can do this, we, we can do our jobs in, in so many unique and creative ways. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, thinking with that mindset and communicating, be willing to say that you don't have the answer, I think is something that um, a lot of young strength coach, I wish I knew when I was younger. And it's something that I try to, when I talk with interns or GAs or whoever, whatever, like that's something that has helped me a lot, you know, navigate those challenges of just creating buy-in with coaches, creating buy-in with the athletes, buy-in with athletic trainers. Um, that's, yeah, so I, I find that to be really, really important. I got a fun question. Yeah. I, I'm just dying to ask this a little bit here. So fencing, fencing. did you ever put the suit on and did you? I actually did not. I wanted to, <laughs> but I did not. I did not. Because I would not want to fence. You're, you got, you're tall. Can't I wouldn't want to fence any of the yeah, Fencers are one of the, some of the most explosive athletes I've worked with. Yeah. I mean, they are in this like quarter squat, squat position their entire time, and they're literally just like bounding forwards and backwards the entire time. Some of the strongest outlets I've had have been fencers. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I know. I have to imagine that your experience in multiple sports has helped you tremendously in just your philosophy of training. I mean, like you said, as they fencers have some of the most explosive yeah. lower bodies you've seen, and being able to take that and apply it to sports that look nothing like fencing. Yeah. I'm sure it's really helped you a lot. No doubt. And you just, I mean, you just, again, there's different things you learn. And um, as you see different sports doing different things and, and you know, there's some sports you, I may try something out or something I saw with volleyball, I may try with fencing or try with a water polo team and it doesn't work. And so dissecting why they didn't work, why it works for for water polo or not for volleyball or vice versa, I think is also part of the process too. And understanding um, just how each athlete in each sport why they move the way they do, why they have deficiencies, where they have deficiencies, um, and then also understanding the culture of the sport. I think kind of like all of just feeds into, for me, it all just feeds into how I design my program, how I approach a training session with the athletes, how I communicate with the coaches, you know, everything top to bottom, I think just um, you know, feeds into all of that. Okay, so I have a little tangent off Please. of that. You mentioned the word experimenting. Mm. <laughs> so we are at the University of Texas and you are at Stanford, yeah. two high-level universities. How do you realistically experiment and grow yeah. with high-level <laughs> high athletes? Uh, cautiously, <laughs> slowly. I mean, it's the way I approach it is I never just uproot everything we're doing because that's obviously like, I don't know, maybe it's crazy. I don't know. Maybe it's Maybe it's normal. Uh, but finding little ways here and there throughout the years, it, maybe it's an off season, so we're going to try something a little different, or maybe it's the in season. Yeah, it's very calculated. And then as time goes on, 
Um, you know, you look back five years, my volleyball program five years ago looks way different than it does today. And some of that is because we have a new coach than we did five years ago. Some of that is because the team, obviously the team has changed. Um, but also some of that is because I've, I've seen and done, seen stuff you do, seen, like, seen stuff everyone is doing and, and tried to incorporate those things. And all of a sudden, like the program changes. That's how we get better as a strength coach in general, right? Like just... We have your you have your core philosophy, but over time you are slowly adding things in and building. And you look back, you know, when I started 10, year, 10 plus years ago, and I'm completely different because of that. I got a funny story on this. So my first couple of years at Texas, and I had volleyball. Uh-huh. I just had picked them up and had not had a ton of experience. We hadn't been to the tournament consistently up at this point, and I decided, you know, hey, I'm going to change the cycle for NCAA's, you know, in the weight room. And just was excited and enthusiastic. Didn't calculate the risk. Mm-hmm. The coach comes down to me the next day and goes, what did you do to the girls? They couldn't move yesterday. <laughs> I'm like, uh, we changed cycles. He goes, yeah, you might not want to do that next time. <laughs> yeah. And we ended up winning and it was fine. But it's like, you know, just one of those mistakes you kind of like, you just make. And thankfully it wasn't like a big one, huge one. Yeah. And we did fine. But again, you got to be careful when you do it. Yeah, what's the phrase? Aim small, miss small, or something like that. Like it's it's knowing that if this doesn't work the way I think it will, we're going to be okay. You know, if it doesn't really change, but if it does work, we're going to be better. X, Y, and Z will be better because of this small change. Going back to Eddie Reese, he has this. He's at these one-liners, and he he'll say this to us: "One end out, take it out." Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Though. I love I mean, it. Yeah. yeah. If you if you're on the fence on it, just just leave it out. You're yeah, gonna be fine for sure. I. That's, that's a great advice, actually. Right. I love that. So in your career path so far, you've been fortunate to take some some steps along the way mm-hmm. up. And uh, it seems like you've continued to grow in the last, how many years have you been in now? 13, 14, Something counting like your yeah. undergraduate? Yeah. So what do you contribute to the continued career, career growth? Yeah. You know, some of it is, well, you know, some of it's right place, right time. Some of it is luck. Some of it is connection some of it is um just never will, willing or wanting or to, to be to be um complacent um I'm o- i've always tried I'm, I'm a tinkerer i think that's why i think we're all probably tinkerers like this field is kind of like that right and so i i'm always trying to push the envelope and i think that at times that's put me in positions to be the next logical choice for for a promotion or it's put me in positions to where I can interview and, and speak to experiences that I've had or things I've tinkered with that um, make me a more viable candidate than somebody else. Um, a lot of it's luck. I mean, my job at, at uh, University of Dayton was um, th- that position I had there wasn't a thing, but I had been working with my with my strength coach and because um, I, I went to undergrad there and I was, I was working with him and they kind of created a position for me. You know, that's kind of lucky. My job at Arizona State, had no connections, just applied, interviewed well. Luckily, the other guys did not interview very well, and I got the job. You know, I wouldn't be at Stanford if that didn't happen. You know, right. and so there's just, uh, you know, and then at Stanford, you know, there was some of that was right place, right time as well. Like my boss had left, and there was kind of a void. I kind of filled it, and then I was the director. You know what I mean? And so I think, um, not to downplay like things that I've done or the work I've put in, but sometimes you got to get lucky. Sometimes, you know, that doesn't mean you don't work hard. That doesn't mean that if you, you know, for if someone's listening is like, oh, this guy just got lucky. Like, you know, I, I definitely put in the work and definitely have been striving to get better and better. And I'm in a position now where, you know, I'm at one of our, the best institutions, you know, academically and athletically. And and in no way has that made me feel comfortable. <laughs> if anything, it's done the opposite. You know, I want to keep pushing and keep growing and um, sort of discover new ways to, to, to keep getting better. Yeah, so tell me about your tinkering. Yeah. So you said your tinkering has set you up for success in yeah. some ways and maybe even made you more visible when positions came open or, you know, so tell us a little bit about what, what yeah. that looks like. I mean, it's kind of what we just talked about, maybe making little changes to programs here and there. Um, other examples would be maybe making modifications to a weight room, just having ideas like, I don't know, we, at, at Stanford, we just, I kind of had this idea one day that we should bolt a, like an old rogue yoke rack into the ground and use it for an, like, like a mid thigh iso pool for our, our force plates. Little things like that, I think, um, have helped. When I was at Dayton, like we um, would, would tinker with and or, or fix our, our broken boxes and sand our platforms every summer and, and seal them up. And that was, you know, I think those little things like that as you kind of, when you're in an interview and they ask like, how do you troubleshoot? How do you problem mm-hmm. solve? It's like, oh yeah, I know exactly. Here's how I would do it, you know, and just, I guess maybe just a, 
acquiring more common sense or utilizing common sense, maybe. Not a great answer for tinkering, but that's kind of my, my, my view no, of tinkering. No, I mean, I, I think you're spot on too is, so throughout the year, you know, as you get further along in the field, you have more experiences with interns. Yeah. And hmm. the quality I would take in an intern is just being proactive and the ability to figure it out. And I don't think that ever changes. No. I think that that always is a quality that people are looking for. I think administration, showing that you're someone that can figure it out, showing that you're someone that identifies a problem and goes after that problem and yeah. tries to fix it. And so I think you're spot on with those answers. I, every time I've hired somebody, uh, that is something that I try to identify in the interview process. Like, how are you as a problem solver? Are you a problem solver and then bring the problem to somebody else? Are you a problem solver and then are, are find the problem, find the solution? You know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. that's what I... That's what I put a lot of value in is being able to take initiative and and you see something's broken, fix it. Don't come tell me it's broken. Go go fix it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then if you can't, then let me know. Hey, I tried to fix this. It's it's really broken. You know, I put a lot of stock in that. Yeah, I think too, I keep hearing both of you guys, it's kind of coming up in your your questions and answers, but there's a curiosity mm-hmm. to that you kind of gotta feed a little bit, and there's a create creative side of what you do, and that's actually there's a book called Creative Inc. I think it's about how they started Pixar. I don't know if you've ever read that. It's a really fascinating mm-hmm. book on how they would actually, the way when they first started Pixar, they would build these teams of individuals. They'd put them together. And this, this what happened when they get in these rooms and start trying to build these movies and cartoons out, this intense creativity process would come from them working together. So kind of goes back to your point, Tyler, about you got to hire people yeah. That are wired like that. Yeah, they gotta they gotta be a good coaches, but there's gotta be a curiosity and a creativity to them because if they don't have that, they're not going to try to find solutions like you said, Anna. So it's 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 definitely something to look for. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think even if you're a little raw on the strength conditioning side of things, I believe that if you have a staff that's if you have a solid staff, someone can come in and and learn from us as a staff, right? Like, so if I'm hiring an entry-level position or someone who is is younger, like you said, like, you, you, Donna, you need to have, you need to have a basic competency of being a strength and conditioning coach to come do the job successfully. But at the end of the day, like, if you are, a, if you if you are, go and find solutions and you are curious and you're always trying to get better, you're, the other stuff, just by osmosis, you're going to be, become a better strength coach by just seeing what other people do, Reading the things we read, talking with us, you know things like that. So I'm a firm believer in in you know the curiosity and and going and finding solutions. And I'm gonna brag on her, on Anna for a sec. She's super like that's the way she's wired yeah. too, and she knows that. So how have you used your creativity at Texas? And I'm gonna put it back in you <laughs> on your plate now. Like how have you developed that? How has that kind of served you to be? Because you've been very successful with that. I think that the art of coaching is just as appealing to me as the science of mm. coaching. I and love so it. yeah, it's good. Uh, something that I would say is one of my top thing top qualities is I love to play. And I love to play in a sense of enjoyment. I love to to tinker. Mm-hmm. I love to find creative ways to do things. So I'm a little bit like you Tyler of I think the engagement of coaching and being able to continue to grow in ways where I feel challenged in a creative sense is really important to me. And and that comes out in my coaching. And so for me, I'm never bored because my mind is always trying to find different ways to engage itself. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that I really love about the field. Yeah. I'll tell, I know we're kind of a tangent here, but I got to share this. It's fun. You, you made me think of this. There's a little book called The Red Rubber Ball at Work. And it's just a simple little book about what you just said, how when you're kids, kids love to play. When you become older and an adult, you, you lose that kind of fun aspect of your work. So for example, they talk about in that little book about you go ask a kid to sweep the porch. You ask an adult to sweep the porch, they're going to sweep the porch and be grumbling. And if you go ask a kid to do it, they're going to be dancing with the broom mm-hmm. in circles and spinning it over the head and sweeping the porch and playing with this broom and sweeping the porch. Maybe not sweeping the porch, but sometimes, you know. And so I read that and I was running our camp. The first summer I ran our camps back 10, 12 years ago, I was taking these, you know, 12 to 17-year-old young boys through this 
normal warm-up, dynamic warm-up movement prep. They hated it. I hated it. They hated it. It was early. It was no energy. I'm like, this camp is like the worst camp ever. Read that book. I said, I'm throwing my warm-up up out. Done with that. Took physio balls out for the warm-up and made just movement games. Mm-hmm. They had a blast in the warm-up. My coaching was a lot easier. They had fun. They played in the warm-up, but we got done what we need to do, and we had a much better session. So I think it leads to, you know, we forget to to do that. I know Tim Pelo, at, at, I know you know Tim yeah. real well. He does a good job with that. You do a great job with that, Anna, with your teams at times. Just having fun, right? But I think it's hard because it takes effort. Sure. You know, it takes Plan it, it yeah. takes extra planning. It takes it really does take the extra little bit of time, the extra little bit of brain power. But as Tyler said, I think it's important on keeping us engaged in our field. And it's unfortunate when we're overloaded so much as coaches that we don't have the ability to to play anymore. That we don't yeah. have the ability to tap into our creative space. And I do think that's a problem because I think that most people get into our field because they love some of those aspects yeah. and because they love the art mm-hmm. of coaching. Um, but I think sometimes we lose it along the way because we do have a lot of other responsibilities and and we get stretched thin. Right, right. We're going to shift gears a little bit. I got. Uh, I want to been dying to, to ask this question because just watching you over the years, Tyler. But uh, so one of your titles is director of applied sports science. So just over the years, you, you know, looking at your resume, you've gained a lot of experience with technology. I think you kind of started uh, reading your resume at um, was it Arizona State mm-hmm. with football? Yep. With catapult, that's I think where you kind of cut your teeth yeah. a little bit. So you wear those hats as a strength coach and a sports scientist. Give us a little bit of background on kind of how did that evolve for you and what were the benefits or challenges along the way? I've always been super interested at being able to objectively know or understand like what it is we are doing to our athletes physiologically, um, whether it be a practice or a lift or whatever. And so I think I've always kind of had this like draw to like this, you know, quote unquote sports science like world. Um, and Arizona State was the first time when really had like a, a nice, shiny, expensive object uh, with our catapult GPS units. Uh, we were kind of demoing them, kind of had them, didn't have them, demoed them, you know, kind of back and forth. But just that little small subset of time, just the one season, um, learned a ton. No idea what I was looking at, but also at the same time learned a ton because you're just, there's so much data, you kind of figure it out. And that's kind of, that moment just kind of sparked, like, I got to know what's going on because you know, this was, you know, wasn't that long ago, you know, six, seven years ago. And Catapult was popular, but it still wasn't everywhere like it is now or a GPS or some, you know, this it wasn't as accessible as the, these technologies are now. And so I, I knew that I had to, I had to figure this out because it's going to be the thing, you know, force plates or GPS or whatever is going, everyone's going to have it. Um, so I've always kind of had this itch to keep pushing and acquire these things. And I've been lucky to be at Arizona State and be at Stanford where we can afford a lot of these products. Um, so at Stanford, like we, you know, we have, we, we, we have everything you could possibly want. <laughs> possibly want. I mean, we're lucky we have GPS both for our indoor and outdoor teams. Uh, not all of them, but for a lot of them, we have force plates, we have a Nord board, we have groin bar. Um, so a lot of objective data that we're collecting. Um which can be overwhelming. And I think when new staff comes in, there's always kind of a learning curve and figuring stuff like that out. But we use the data. We have identified or we are working to, um, or each sports kind of identify like what is important for them, um, whether it be some sort of velocity-based thing or force velocity profiling, um, you know, looking at force plate data, looking at the GPS data for load management, things like that. And um, so every sport's kind of got their own flavor of how they're applying this stuff, how they're, what data they look at, how they collect it, how they apply it. Um, but it's all very like, I don't know, sports specific, I guess, if you want to phrase it that way. I, I think it's all benefit. <laughs> you know, um, there are challenges for sure in terms of like, it, it's, it's time, you know, you need to be want to put in the work. There's a learning curve. A lot of the data can be, can feel overwhelming. Like as you're, you know, our force plates, it's like 175 metrics. So if you look at every metric, it's like, like how the heck do I sift through all this stuff? And so there's definitely a learning curve and there's definitely, um, but if you want to put in the time, like, I think it's all benefit in terms of, you know, we, you can profile your athletes. We can, um, you know, as simply as just see how they create 
power, see how they create force, see if they're asymmetrical, um, see what a match or a game looks like from an external loading standpoint. Um, you know, and those things to me are are kind of critical in how we program as strength coaches, but also how our head coaches can um, create a practice plan that leads us to a point where we are at the end of the season at our best and not just trying to hang on, whether it be um, from overuse or, you know, other soft tissue injuries and things like that. And so, you know, I, I think the sky's the limit. I think the technology is getting better. It's getting cheaper. It's getting more accurate, um, getting more reliable. And so, you know, I, I think that um, it's, 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 it's the way we're going. How do you decide what you give the head coach? Mm-hmm. How do you make that? How do you that? What's that process sifting of? I know Anna has to deal with that too a little bit. Um, how do you do that? I'd love to hear from both of you actually. Yeah, the way we do it is a lot of that is dictated kind of by our head coach how they like to see it. So I start with this: How do you like to see data? Are you a tables and numbers person, or are you a charts and colors person, or are you a tables and colors person? Things like that. Um, because if I present you with a bunch of pie charts and bar graphs and you're like, I have no idea how to read this, that's not going to work or vice versa. Most people like colors and charts because it's, you can, you don't have to like read it, um, over as opposed to tables and numbers. Um, so that's number one, figuring out how you like to read, how, what is the best way for you to be presented the data? Like, how do you want to see it? And then I, I asked, I ask our coaches like, when you run a practice, if you could know anything about it, what would you want to know? How hard? How long? How far? Like what? And those generalized definitions, I think, are what I can then take those and, and find specific metrics, which then I can then kick back in a report mm-hmm. and and then speak to the coach in that same general manner. This metric, yes, it's high metabolic low distance, which is confusing, but this is basically how intense it was. Um, this number, player load, yes, it's a weird name, but it's... Um, like how much volume we did. So the higher this number is, the more you know work that, that we did, mm-hmm. and kind of explain it. Yeah, and explain it in, in, in ways that are digestible. Because again, the head coach they have so much going on: recruiting and practice planning and scouting and maybe discipline or academic issue, whatever it is. There's so much going on, and so to try to f- understand the definitions of kind of complex metrics make no, makes no sense. So if I can present it to you in a way that makes sense, I can present it to you in a way that's quick to read. Um, and you know exactly what you're looking at, that's a win in my book. So let me kick it to Coach Craig. You've dealt with this over the last, what, four or five years maybe, longer? Longer than that. I think we've had Catapult maybe six years now. Yeah, and I would say if I could sum this up in kind of the way I like to say it is like with data and technology, it's I would say the approach is more evolutionary, Mm -hmm. not revolutionary. Because I think coaches think, oh, we're going to change this big change. We're going to be all better this year. But I, I know just listening to you over the years, Anna, it's been evolutionary, right? Slowly changed. So maybe speak to that. Like how have you guys changed over the years? It really has. I think at first it was data overload. Mm-hmm. We all need everything, right? Every piece of technology out there, every team needs it. Every team wants to use the newest and best. And we've really whittled it down to what are the important things that we can test for this sport. So what are the things that actually impact the, the key performance indicators or injury prevention in this exact sport and actually whittled it down. And when it comes to the coaching staff and communicating, coaches want to be able to control the controllables. Yeah. So it's not what is all this abstract data. It's tell me what I can actually control and then tell me what the impact is that I'm actually having on my players. And so for us with, with soccer, we're looking at, like you said, distance. We're looking at high-impact player load, Mm -hmm. change of direction, and sprinting. Speed, right? Right. Right. So, okay, so a coach says, I'm looking at my pie chart, and I have this this amount for the week, and I have 75% left of my sprinting load that I need to do. Well, that's easy. Okay, now I can top up at the beginning of practice. I see there's a lot of sprinting left that I can do. There's not much change of direction left that I can do, so I'm going to not do as much change of direction. So it's just this very easy communication and and telling a coach or showing a coach what are things that I can actually do to make small impacts in my practice Mm -hmm. to change the way that my players are performing or recovering. And it's not information overload. It's what are the controllables? What is the coach in control of? How is, can it be easily communicated? And I think who who has said that that, uh, 
maybe Einstein said that, it, or or somebody that if if you can explain a complex issue to basically a person that knows nothing about it, you know that that person's actually intelligent. Yeah. Right. And it's like, how can you ma- how can you take all of this data overload and information overload and whittle it down to someone who doesn't really care about the data? They care about the impact it yeah. has. And I think that that's part of our job when it comes to technology. 100%. For me, it's it's one, if I can make one change, or if we can start thinking about one metric in a different way, a season or in a year, that's a win. Like if I can just, if I'm working with a coach and we're talking about just global load or, or high-speed running or whatever it is, and I can just get them thinking about it differently or in the in the correct context, which is correct, a very vague term, obviously, um, that's a win. Because now they're thinking more holistically about their practice planning. It's not just, you know, it's not just, oh, I need to, you know, we got to play small-sided games today. That's what we're doing. Or we need to play 11 on 11. It's, oh, I'm thinking about sprint distance. Oh, I got to make sure I get enough. Or I got to make sure I don't get too much. And right there, to me, that's a great start because now they're thinking beyond just a sheet of paper that tells them their practice plan. Um, and once you start going there, in my experience, coaches, like, then they kind of fall into it on, on I guess on accident, maybe like mm-hmm. uh, just thinking about the whole practice holistically, and then thinking about things like topping up at the end of practice or limiting change of direction, all those things. I think it's I, I have so much fun working with coaches on stuff like this. I think it's it's a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge putting the data in context um, and and showing them what they can control, or what the, showing them what the impact of the data is. But for some, I love that process. <laughs> you know, educating, working with, working through like those struggling moments when. They thought they planned to practice a certain way. It didn't go the way they thought. Why? Kind of just working through those problems. I think it's. I think it's fun. It's troubleshoot. Well, I think the best metaphor. I, this guy, I forget his name. I got to spend time with him. He was a sports scientist for an NBA team, and he talked about a budget. You know, and it's like the athlete has only so much their body can adapt to with whatever low, whether it's practice or weight room or whatever. And that if, you know, kind of what you were saying, Anna, you've got that pie chart each each day that if you spend that budget, like you've only got so much left for the week. And I think coaches, they tend to understand that concept better and they because they want their athletes to be ready to roll on game day. They don't want to be uh, have them overreached or too fatigued. And so I think that's, uh, it's cool to see coaches in this era of technology when you can quantify what they're doing in practice where they couldn't do that, it was more the art, the, the art of coaching, not the science. They're almost getting educated. I mean, you can see it kind of happen, which is good for them. Yeah. And it's, been, it's made all of us better. So I try small to, changes. Yeah, right. 100%. I try to phrase everything as it's how we can maximize every day, not pull you mm. back. I think, I think there's a fear, yeah. like an inherent fear of coaches that this data will have us doing less. And Make them soft, yeah. Yeah, and I don't want to do less. I want to do more, actually. I just want when we do more, I want to be smart about how we do it. You know, because that that's how you want to be fit at the end of the season. It's not by doing less. It's not by doing less. It's by doing more. Right, right. I love it when you look at the day and you're like, let's send it today. Yeah. <laughs> you have way more than yeah. you thought you did. I love that. I love that, yeah. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to talk about your sports a little bit. Okay. So you have a variety of sports. Yeah. You touched on that. How has that impacted you as a coach to work with such a diverse group of sports, athletes, genders? Mm-hmm. It's something that I, I've absolutely loved. You know, both both working with both men and women, sports, aquatic, court, field sports, beach, sand. <laughs> you know, like the whole, the whole spectrum. I think it's um, it's it's definitely like just put things into context. And what I love the most about working with a variety of teams is is understanding like how the culture of each sport is something that I think I've really um, like find most intriguing. Cause every, you guys know this, every sport is so different. And just how the culture, how the, what you, how you get into it, how you grew up in the sport, how you get recruited in the sport. And then like, just kind of what like the, the culture of the sport is. And um, I think just, Having been immersed in those, and then having um, obviously comparing side culture of sports side to side, and just like kind of the the way sports are, I think it's just giving me a better idea. It's just, it just the sport is so unique. Our jobs are so unique, and there's um, you know it's it's the best job in the world because we get to be just involved in so many and see so many different types of kids and the way they do things. And I think it's I think it's awesome. It's kind of like yeah, I think it's the best thing ever. So I, I love it. I think it's. I'm not sure that answers your question or not, but um, yeah, it's it's definitely made me a better coach. I would say, like uh, again, just having 
you know, you work with the men's water polo team, overhead sport, but the way they throw is much different than a volleyball swing. So two overhead sports, but very different, different mechanics. Um, and understanding that I think from a, like a, like the science side of things is okay. So I do this with volleyball, but it's probably not going to work with men's water polo because the actual action That's is different. Cool, yeah. You know what I mean? And so you can't just apply, but you can relate similar concepts. And then going back, I think it's been the theme here, the art of coaching, you know, um, relating to them, having like understanding their culture, understanding their lingo, um, you know, that just creates more buy-in with with the kids and with the coaches. Yeah, we talk about that a lot. I think you know, just athlete buy-in. It's really about head coach buy-in. At, totally at first. So anyway, go ahead, Anna. I was gonna say I agree with you on the personality of each team. Yeah, it's funny because so that I don't I don't have yeah. children, but Donnie has four. <laughs> I, yeah. So he can probably relate to this, but I feel like every athlete is like a different child. Yeah. Like you have the oldest, the le- the most self-sufficient one. Then you have the middle child who doesn't need much. You have the wild child, yeah. you know, all over the place. And I feel like each team just has such a different personality. Totally. And it's cool because you're not a different coach. You're not a different person, but parts of you as a coach get pulled out yeah. in each that's of those a great settings. Way, that, that's a great way to describe it. Uh, yeah, that's that's so true. Yeah, it's funny, right? You even get, I've gotten to where you can even like, when you meet a coach, you could almost tell what sport oh, they coach. That's yes. funny. Yes, it's true. And you don't know who they are. You just happened today for me on somebody in the elevator. I just knew, I knew yeah, you're, just kind of like, just the way they carry themselves, the way they dress. Yeah. You know, it was pretty, it was pretty funny. Yeah, so. that's so true. So you've been a coach for a long time. Yeah. But you've been a director for three years mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So how has you as a coach changed since you became a director? Yeah, I'd like to think not a lot. Um, you know, I, I still like the way you know my coaching my coaching style and philosophy is. I feel like has is it's changed through the years, but I think the core of it is still there. You know, I think as a director, and, and Donnie, you can probably speak to this. You know, the the impact for me when I became a director was like, oh, it's not just about me in my teams; it's about my staff and their teams and all the relationships that happen there and then how people are relating with other departments and things like that. And so I think that that's something I didn't realize when I became, I knew it, but I didn't really understand the gravity of it until you become director. It's like, oh, wow, I'm responsible for a lot, you know? And so I think as a coach, it's, um, you know, I, I, I guess that mindset of just kind of like trying to see the whole picture is is just is just clearer. Um, and, and by whole picture, I mean whether it be like the athlete as an individual and what they have going on in their lives, like whether it be class, family, um, sport, if they're playing, if they're hurt, if they're not, to how a weight room schedule may operate, to and, and teams interact with each other, to how staff interacts with each other, to how we have to interact with other departments on campus. And so I think just the whole picture is a little bit more clear, um, or I'm thinking more about the whole picture pretty much constantly. Maybe Donnie, I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you. Yeah, I'm yeah. curious Donnie's point of view on that also. Oh, which, which piece again? On just how have you changed as a coach since becoming a director? I mean, you've been a director for quite a few more years, but you wear a lot of hats. You're a coach, you're a director. Yeah. I feel like the coaching is the same, for me at least. Yeah, no, it's more, I always kind of say, you know, the thing I think as a director, there's this one kind of principle, and I forget where I got this from over the years, but it's like the biggest problem when you're leading anything typically is people. But guess what? The biggest solution when you're leading something is people. Mm-hmm. And so as a director, you you really, you, you know, oh, you know, here you read these books, you hear these speakers, who you surround yourself, it's cliche, but man, when you when you start leading something, you really, really value and, and just have such respect and admiration for quality. I think number one, high character, a high integrity people like Coach Craig here is definitely like that and our staff. You are definitely like that, Tyler, obviously, but that's one. And But then having a high level of competency as well, you know, I think I've been around, you know, I've, been, I've worked with, with with individuals, have great resumes, they're good at what they do, but maybe they're not high character. They're great at what they do, but, you know, maybe you don't trust them as much. Yeah. So that makes things a little bit more difficult. You still accomplish a lot, but just it's more stressful. Yeah. And so there's there's a piece and a and a synergy when you got really high quality high character people yeah. on your staff that are good at their jobs, and they they love their jobs and they love the kids they work with. Yeah. And they get and what we end up happening that person, you guys mentioned personalities of teams. You guys know this. Some head coaches are really hard to get along with. Yeah. And of course, not at Texas, not, not at Texas <laughs> or Stanford. Yeah. Right. Definitely but not. But when you got Stanford. high character. 
people, they know how to navigate those without causing a huge uproar, you know? And, yeah. And that takes, that's a big, important piece of being successful, I feel like, so. Yeah, that's a great point. Couldn't agree, agree more, 100%. Yeah. All right, I have a fun question. We're kind of getting here to the end here, but um, just for time. So let's talk a little, just one. I know this is cliche and it's a buzzword today, culture. Mm-hmm. But dude, Stanford, I mean, you guys are at the pinnacle. I mean, thankfully, we finally got that director's cup from y'all this year. I know. I didn't want to oh. sting you with that, but I mean, 20-something years yeah. you guys have won that thing? Yeah, all but one a year. All but one I year, mean, I think. The dude, first year. you guys are on top. Uh, all my time, I've been coaching 27 years. You guys, any interactions I've ever had with you, your staff, or your teams, high level of athletic uh, excellence as well as academic. I remember, Anna, we played these guys in tennis. I think it was two or three years ago. And we ended up barely beating. I mean, you guys hammered us almost. And we normally have lost you guys. We ended up pulling this one out. I'll never forget leaving the tennis facility late at night. Those guys were in the hallway studying. Yeah. I'm sorry, Texas guys don't do that. (laughs) Like we're on the computer doing their, I don't know what they were doing, but... So to have that pressure of academic yeah. excellence and athletic excellence, that's pretty special. Um, so speak to that. How would you define culture mm-hmm. for you guys at Stanford? And then second part, how do you build that championship culture? So yeah. speak to that. Yeah, there's no doubt that the Stanford student-athlete is a is a high-achieving individual. I mean, that's you can say that about a lot of schools, but the things that our, our student-athletes are doing, like in their, obviously, like with athletically, you know, many teams in, in championship contention year to year. And then also academically, you know, the, the, their summer internships or their summer like research things they do are crazy. Like they're like trying to like, uh, like solve cancer or, or, or you know, it, it, it's wild. Like the, the things our kids do. And so I think that um, Stanford is just kind of, we're really lucky to have these overachieving individuals that, that strive for that. So that's, I think that's inherently like the Stanford culture you know, I think in uh, in my department, Olympic sports performance, like we have set pretty clear guidelines of what our culture will be. And our culture is, we look at that as how we're interacting with each other and interacting with others. Um, and so that, that's kind of how we've kind of come up with our, our, our tenets or pillars, whatever phrase you want to use. And I know for us, it's, it's we want to um, have open and honest communication, which is very buzzwordy, but by that we mean like not afraid to have the hard conversation, but you're always going to be, it's always in a respectful tone. Um, we, we're going to bring your best every day and I want to harp on it's not bring the best every day, it's bring your best because we have days where we're tired, where we're sick, where our kids were up all night, where uh, you know, we came back from a late travel trip, whatever it is. And so, you may not be able to be the best on any given day, but if you are bringing your best, um, we're all better because of that. And the last one is just serving others, which, you know, it's a service-based industry that we're in. But I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in just thinking about yourself. How am I using my force plate data? How am I, you know, me, 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 like how am I, how is my day affected by the, the schedule? How, you know, and so I think it's about serving others. And I feel that if we are, and my staff and myself, if we are constantly feeding into these pillars and, and embodying what, what those means and yeah. and yeah. Uh, behaving in a way that supports that, that fosters that, that we as a department will be uh, work at a high level, at a championship level, and and hopefully that contributes positively to the our athletic department culture, you know, and um, that, that that's our goal in Olympic sports performance. And I think, again, we're a small piece of the puzzle, but I think a lot of departments at Stanford and in athletics uh, – operate with similar mindsets. And I think that's, you know, so everyone's kind of the bottom is coming up and I think we all operate um, and are striving to to win, you know? I have a question for both of you as directors. So you talked about being a service industry. How do you guys make sure that there's a balance between fulfilling our our job as, as a service and as a support staff member, but also preventing burnout and creating boundaries for your staff members okay for me i can go I, yeah this go one is this one's uh, near and dear to my heart but so i'm definitely and uh i think for me personally over the years it's been obviously you know i grew up in a home where my mom and dad divorced when i was real young so family life is huge for me not just for me but for i mean family for me but really for you for staff at texas like if you got something that's impassionate about or you're excited about outside of work, you need to put time into that. 
In the book, uh, Adam Grant, I think is the guy's name, the book is called Give and Take. He does all this research on that, that they've done, they did this, it was an Australian research paper they did on about 60 employees. And they found out that, they call it the 100-hour rule. Mm -hmm. And over a year, if you can contribute 100 hours to something outside of your work, could be nonprofit, could be a hobby, whatever. So that's about two hours a week. If you can contribute that and not be focusing on your work, that actually helps prevent burnout in your career and your job. And I think for me, that's something I've definitely, whether it's my family, my kids' sports, I know I've done some stuff with ministry over the years that's really helped me kind of grow in a different way and kind of pulled me in a different direction that's made me a better coach. But it's also brought some well-roundedness and balance in my life, so that I don't. So I look forward to my job. Yeah, and I think that's important. That's what's kind of helped me. Yeah, I, I would echo a lot of what you said. Is I, I support any and all external or outside hobbies or things, interests, you know, whatever it is. You know, I, I make sure that my staff has those opportunities, and I make sure that they, if they, ha- or if they have the opportunity to, to do it, you know, and um, whether it be everything. I'll, I, what comes to mind is rock climbing because like five of my staff members love to go rock climbing and so like whenever they have a chance to go like I I, I, I sometimes I razz them about it but ultimately I want you to go <laughs> go do rock climbing right and and you know because so, again if it, if it keeps you fresh if it's enough of something different that it makes you well-rounded and and makes you look forward to your job like I support it I support it fully so um, and then if you don't have to be in the office like do not be here like I'm not I, I had a job where I it was like you waited and you, you had to be there before the director got there and you had to wait till he left before you can go home. And some days he'd leave at three, some days yeah. he'd leave at seven. I've done that. That's not fun. And it's yeah. not fun. The guarding your desk is not fun. And, um, you know, I don't want anyone to do that. And I try to like live that life as well and not just be there at work from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. if I don't have to be. And so I think try to lead by example, but also I'm also speaking those words. Like if you don't have to be here, if your team is gone for the month of August, like, Go for the month of August. You know, you don't have to be here. I, try, I really try to push that uh, with my staff. I think that's—I'm going to I'm gonna brag on Donnie for a second as our director, but that's something that I've noticed that's a huge contributor to longevity in our field is the wasted hours. Yes. Is 100%. if you can eliminate the wasted hours where you're just sitting at your desk because there's some sort of unspoken pride rule that you have to yeah. be there, if you can eliminate that, then— there's so much that you get back from that, just in and being able to leave for two hours in the middle of the day, or being able to not be there for a day if you don't have any teams Correct. training, or you know. And for us, so this is this is my part. I want to brag on Donnie for is something that I would highly recommend every director does is have a backup for every team. Mm. So we have a designated backup for every single one of our strength and conditioning coaches. And so therefore, anytime I'm out, or let's say I need to go to a wedding, or you know, I'm I'm trying to take a vacation at a at a strange time, then I have a person that is designated to back me up. Yeah. My head coach knows that person. They know the program. The team and so knows them. Yeah. yeah, the team knows them. So it's not just this stranger being plugged into a strange situation. It's someone that everybody knows. And we actually encourage each other as staff. It's like, oh, you need to be gone on Friday. You're going to a wedding. Great. Like, I got yeah. you covered. Like, we do not. We encourage each other in that space. And that's really helped because yeah, how many weddings have we all missed the first couple of years uh, we were in, yeah. in the field? How many, you know, special moments with our family? How many holidays? How many? And those are the things that you have to have in order to have a healthy family, in order to have longevity in the field. And so I think that that's one of the things I really love working with Donnie for is he's really good about that with our staff. Got to make time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's so easy to get lost at work and to be there forever. And it just doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it keeps you fresh. If you get to go home or you don't have to come out on, on a Friday or you can attend those weddings, like it just, it keeps it fresh and it, it makes you want to come. This is, a, this is a, great, a great job. I mean, we're wearing shorts and t-shirts and you know what I mean? Like it's, right, a, right. it's a great job. And, and we're working with college athletes at division one, top division one universities. Like there's nothing better. And it's just going to work. We spend so much time at work anyways. It sucks when you're miserable. <laughs> so you might as well have some fun being at work and, and keeping it fresh. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Go ahead, coach. We got one more time for one more question. One more. So the thing, the question that I don't like is where do you want to be in 10 years? Because life is fluid and it takes us kind of where it wants us to go. But what I do like is 
Who do you hope to be yeah. in 10 years? How do you hope to grow? I hope that in 10 years I am in a role or in a job where I can still uh, play play a, a supporting role in somebody else's development, whether it be athletically, emotionally, mentally, whatever it is, something where, you know, I don't want to say having an impact because I feel like that sounds like overly dramatic, but having a small piece of someone's journey to whatever it is they want to go. Um, right now that's athletically and, and I, I kind of like working in athletics. So in 10 years, maybe hopefully athletics, but that doesn't, like you said, life takes you where you want to go. And so I think if I'm in a role where I'm working with people um, and, and and we're striving for greatness and we're, and we're pushing each other, I think that's, that'd be a great place to be. Love that. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, Coach Tyler, this has been a pleasure to have you on the Thank show. You. Coach Craig, um, Mike Hanson, he's got some heat on him. <laughs> You're going to take his job too. So, no, it's good. Thank you for helping out. Um, Coach Craig, he's in Austin. Where would you recommend him to go eat? Give him one spot. Oh, this is hard. Do you have to eat tacos? So you know that we're like the taco capital. I do know this, Okay, yes. so if it's breakfast time, you got to go get breakfast yeah. tacos. Yeah. If it's lunchtime, you got to go get lunch yeah. tacos. If it's dinner time, <laughs> you got to get dinner tacos. Yeah, okay. So, just any anywhere, what, anywhere that. You got that, a spot for him, coach. Breakfast what, what tacos to? tomorrow. Breakfast tacos. Oh, breakfast tacos. Taco deli. Taco deli. My fave. Done. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Done. Love that place. Done. Love it. Awesome. I think it's got cracks sprinkled on there. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Need to get the ingredients, but um. Coach Tyler, where can people, if they want to reach out to you, connect, talk to you more? What's Anyone the best way? Can email me at any time. My email is on our website. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I do not know my either of my handles off the top of my head, but I'm I post on Instagram relatively. Well, I used to be frequently. Now it's not. So social media. But if anyone has a question, and wants to connect, they can just email me. I always respond. Well, definitely do that to our listeners. Uh, Tyler's only a great guy. He's a phenomenal coach. And uh, again, we connected with them over the pandemic as a staff over Zoom. So thank you for that again. Absolutely. And so reach out to Tyler. But uh, from Austin, Texas. This is the Team Behind the Team podcast. Donnie, Tyler, and Anna, appreciate your time. We'll catch you next month. Y'all have a good one. Hook them. Go Card. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.